The series that we're in goes along with our 21 days of prayer, all right? Our 21 days of prayer is something we've gotten into a habit of doing every year. We've gotten into a habit of, of making this kind of, I mean, we don't do very many things uh, kind of ritualistically here as a, as a church, but this has become one of those things that we've just really enjoyed. And we've done it different ways, different years. COVID threw a wrench and kind of changed how we did some things the year of COVID, the, the, the last year primarily. And then this year, um, we've still been meeting online. Uh, we're looking at some new options for next year as to how we can gather together and pray. Um, but it's just a really great, I don't know about you, but for me, it's a fantastic just renewal of a habit uh, that I need to be in and constantly looking at. We always want to make scripture a part of it and prayer a part of it and then interceding for one another to be a part of it. Um, and so that's what we're doing during this. But we're also doing a series around the idea of how prayer works with the early church and how prayer and the church kind of have this beautiful relationship that, that really, really does matter. And so um, that's what we started with last week. Now, Pastor Chris started us. If you didn't watch the online message, please go back and do so. I can't recover, uh, recap all of that, but I'm going to give you a few things. Uh, this is sort of a theme verse. Again, we're going through the book of Acts in our 21 days of prayer in terms of the early church, in terms of the model of church for us. And so the, the theme verse comes from this, this verse in Acts we read the first week. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to, what's the word? And to prayer, all right? There was already a description of what was happening. Uh, they were sharing their faith at the temple. They were sharing about the way and about Jesus. Uh, God was adding to their number daily. They were meeting each other's needs. They were serving uh, the, the church, and they were serving the community. Uh, there's beautiful descriptions in Acts 2 about how the church was sort of functioning and, and how he launched it from, from Pentecost and how he launched this movement of the way. But I look at those four things, just the devoting of themselves to teaching and to growing and to serving one another and to fellowship and to community and, 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 and how they just shared their, their faith as little as they knew. They just had a witness, uh, the witnessing of Christ's resurrection and just understanding the difference that he made in their life and, and, and how it changed everything for uh, the Jewish people. And that is what I look back at our core ambitions we did a couple weeks ago. And just think that's really, that's one of the reasons our model is so simple in terms of partnering and growing and serving and leading. And this is just that these are the core ambitions of a follower of Christ, of a disciple. And yet what we know is true in terms of the church, which is one of the reasons, again, I'm okay with this being a, a regular thing uh, in terms of uh, every year kind of starting off with this 21 days of prayer, is that we know that according to Pew Research and some other studies, that in the, just in the past decade, okay, just in the past from 2011 to 2021, we've seen a, in terms of the Pew Research, there was a decrease in people saying that they actually prayed daily by about 13%. And there was a decrease in terms of people sharing that their faith kind of impacts their everyday life by about 15%. And we already know the rise of biblical illiteracy is happening as well, even though the Bible is more accessible today than it has ever been in the history of history. And yet people are not reading it, yet people don't know what it actually says. They kind of have an idea maybe of what it says because they heard somebody that heard somebody that heard somebody that says what it says. But there's just a huge gap between our, between our faith, the actual faith that we see in the book of Acts and what we see and are experiencing even in our country and in our community. 
and it's on the decline, not, not God's movement. God's movement is not on the decline in this world. But what we're seeing in the church, the importance of prayer, the importance of, of faith in our life every day, we're seeing this. So again, going back to recap a little bit in terms of what Chris introduced us to last week about prayer. This is a great quote from uh, Tim Keller. He was a pastor of Center City Church in New York. Uh, this is from one of his many books. It says, prayer is both conversation and encounter with God. It's conversation, yes, and it's an encounter. We must know the awe of praising his glory, the intimacy of finding his grace, and the struggle of asking his help, all of which, all those three things can lead us to know the spiritual reality of his presence. Last week, Chris just said, look, the purpose of prayer, the purpose of prayer is as an invitation to a conversation that aligns our will with God's will. That's the purpose of prayer. Maybe you thought prayer was just to thank God for the foods so you wouldn't choke. Many parents said that to their children, right? Sometimes people think that the purpose of prayer is to ask God for what you need in terms of a list of things that are going on and he's unaware of them, so you have to ask him and let him know. And we said, no, the purpose of prayer really is this conversation. It is this encounter and it's an invitation to let God change us. So the invitation to let God do a work in us and our will to align with his will. And again, you'll have to go back and look at the rest of his uh, message in terms of the different approaches and different suggestions and practical ways in which we approach prayer. I love this verse. This has always been one of my favorite verses describing prayer for me. And this is Paul writing to the Ephesians. In him, talking about Christ, the work of Christ, and through faith in him. So it's in him because of the, the door has been opened because of the work of Christ, and it's through our faith in him that we may, what's that word? Read it out loud again. What's that word? That we can approach God with freedom and confidence. Approaching God with freedom and confidence. Now, I don't know about you, but when I talk with people about prayer, that is not usually what comes out of their mouth in terms of their approach to prayer. Their comfortable uh, their comfortable ability in terms of prayer, in terms of their habits, in terms of their disciplines, that they approach God with freedom and confidence. What would you say about that? Would that be a good picture of you in terms of your prayer life, in terms of your prayer habits with God? For us, this is the best description of prayer. And I love the word approach because that is what prayer is. Uh, there's a great Hebrew word called karob. Can't spell it for you because it's Hebrew. Um, there is a great Hebrew word called karob, and it's a beautiful picture in terms of the Hebrew language about what that looks like. And it was oftentimes used in association of how the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies to approach the presence of God, to approach God himself, or at least what they had in terms of that representation of the presence of God, karob, approach. And that is what prayer is in terms of, uh, of not just our, 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 uh, the description of prayer, but the way in which, in terms of all Scripture, leads us to this sort of New Testament way of understanding how we approach. What does this look like when we're praying? And I wrote this down many years ago. Again, it's just a simple way that we pray to the Father, 
That's who our prayers are to, okay? All through the Old Testament and New Testament. But the New Testament, we get this beautiful picture of our prayers to the Father through Jesus. Because of the work that he's done, he tore the veil, he made, it, uh, it made him accessible so that we could approach him with freedom and confidence, and we do this by the power of the Holy Spirit in us. It is by the power. Matter of fact, Romans 8, beautiful picture of even when we don't know what to pray and how to say the words that are just you know, yearning in our hearts, the Holy Spirit actually prays on our behalf. The, the Holy Spirit can say, I got it, Courtney. I know the words you're looking for, right? Because sometimes in our mess, we just don't even know the words. And the Holy Spirit goes, I got it. I know the words. And expresses those to God. Beautiful picture of prayer. Freedom, confidence, our direction to the Father. And again, this is just not what I see on the regular in terms of Christians, modern day followers of Christ, in terms of their, you know, their habits and their spiritual disciplines. This would not describe most people's prayer life. You go to any small group in any church in any town USA, okay? Small group of Christians gather together. How many of you have had this experience where somebody says, who wants to pray? Right? And let's be generous. Maybe 10% of that group, one in 10, maybe one and a half. I don't know how that works, but maybe 15% are kind of okay. Like, I guess I can pray. I'm that jerk in the small group that sometimes just points at somebody and says, why don't you close us in prayer? And they just go, oh, oh, okay, you know. Out comes some weird King James Version thing. They, you know, they heard their grandfather say one time, wherefore art thou, you know. And, and again, I look at it and I go, but, but that's not what prayer is. If prayer is this conversation with God, it should be, it should be, that's why this freedom and conference is such a big deal. It should be something we are able to approach with freedom and confidence. The same way I would approach a conversation with you and with anyone else. This, this is a, an invitation to that. And yet that's not what people experience. So I want to talk today specifically about the primary thing that I see in the church. Now hear me say these words. I'm seeing it in the church with followers of Jesus. Do we see it outside the church? Yes. Skeptics, unbelievers have the same problem. The problem is I'm seeing it in the church of why people struggle in their discipline of prayer. And it's primarily this reason. Because we often assume that our prayers are unanswered. We often assume that our prayers go unanswered. Now, the top sentence is the sentence we're going to preach on. I'm going to preach on all day. God answers prayers. Just say those three words with me. God answers prayers. Say it one more time. God answers prayers. That is the testimony of the followers of Jesus. God answers prayers. And that should never waver, and it should never be anything different. And yet what I'm seeing in the church, in Christians' lives, is that there's a hesitancy, there's a struggle, there's an issue in prayer for them because they've assumed at some point, they were told at some point, they came to the conclusion at some point that God doesn't answer prayers. Now, he might answer your prayers, but he hasn't answered my prayers. 
He might answer some prayers, but he didn't answer this prayer. Does that make sense? And because of that, people shrink back. And because of their weird, this weird understanding of what they think prayer is supposed to be, they don't engage it because of how they've assumed God doesn't answer their prayers or their prayers go unanswered. Now, this is, this is strange to me because this is the same, this all comes from the same book, the same Bible, right? The same word of God that we see that God answers prayers. This is the testimony of the church. Why? Because look at this. Yes is an answer, right? Yeah. Is no an answer? No, nah, that wasn't convicting there. All right. Hey, is no an answer? Yeah, that's an answer. All the parents in the room, is maybe an answer? Yeah. Legitimate answer. Maybe. Is not yet an answer? Yeah. What about something different? What about, what about that time in which your kid's asking you for something, but you have something different in mind, something better? A different plan, a different course, a different action. And you can't wait to fulfill that. You can't wait to pour that out as a blessing on your kids, but they're asking for something very specific, and you are answering in such a way that it's like, no, I've got something different in store. Are all those answers? Yeah, all those are answers. So I go back to the, th- the, to the statement, God answers prayers. Let's say it again. God answers prayers. Now, he may not answer them the way we want him to, and there's the struggle. <laughs> there's, there's the problem. Is the problem that God doesn't answer prayers? No, that is not the problem. The problem is that God answers prayers, but it doesn't always align with our will. Which goes back to why prayer is an invitation to a conversation that aligns our will with God's will. Beautiful passage. This is uh, Jesus in Matthew telling us, telling his disciples, I want you to keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find it. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. There's an aspect of, of, of God just through Jesus just saying, there's a persistence in this. There's an engagement in this that you're continuing to do. Keeps going and says, uh, for whoever, whoever asks receives. When you ask God a question, he answers. Am I, am I right about that? You guys still with me? He, he does answer. You do receive. Everyone who seeks finds. Everyone who knocks, the door will be open. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. This is just Jesus making it bottom shelf, right? Hey, parents, would you ever do this to your children? No. So if, you're, if you sinful people, you horrible, rotten, sinful people that are parents know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give you good gifts to those who ask him? How much more does God pour that out on his children? If you rotten, horrible, selfish, no good, sinning, people who are blessed to get and have children, and you know how to give them good gifts, 
How much more? I mean, this is, this, is, this is what the Word of God tells us. And yet, again, because of the way in which we assume He doesn't answer or we don't like the answers we get and we don't keep asking and we don't keep seeking and we don't keep trying to, trying to work through what this relationship looks like in, in surrendering our will to His will, we shy back, we pull back, we don't engage, we stop praying. And yet there's an element there that we're missing. We're missing what God may want to do in and through you and me. Here's a couple more references. This is, uh, um, I won't give you them all. There's a lot of references today, guys. I'll just warn you, write it out, take, snap a quick picture. It's a lot of scripture today. I can't read the whole thing. Just no, there's just not enough time. Here's a couple great references in James. And James explains, uh, just using the example of Elijah, what did it mean when Elijah was just an ordinary man, just like you and me, and he prayed that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't rain for three years? And what did it mean when he had to go back and pray for it to rain again? But the reality is that when he prayed for it to rain again, it didn't rain. So he prayed again, and he had a little, little guy running with him, go see if there's anything in the horizon. Nope, nothing there. So he prayed again. And he prays seven times before he even sees a cloud the size of his fist as an answer to that prayer. Luke tells us where Jesus is giving an example of being persistent in our prayers. He talks about a widow and a judge, and it's an unjust judge. It's not a picture of God. It's an unjust judge, and the widow just keeps coming back to him and back to him and knocking on his door and wanting justice for what she needs justice for. And finally, the judge gives in. Again, not because he feared God, but because the woman was bugging the snot out of him. And he goes on, Jesus uses that example of, surely, again, your heavenly Father who already knows what you need, surely justice can come to you with that kind of persistence. This is supposed to cause us to lean in to prayer. That's why it's a conversation. It's not a one-way list of things, right? Lean into prayer. When God's maybe not answering it the same way that I might want him to answer something, I need to be able to lean in and find out why. What's going on? What is he doing? What's, is, it, is it an issue of persistence? Is it an issue of me? Is it an issue of, 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 of leaning in because he's going to do something different because it's not yet, because it's a no? Paul asked for the thorn to be removed from his side three times. Three times he said, God, remove this thorn. And we didn't know if it was physical. We believe it could have been physical or mental illness or something. We said, please remove this, this thorn. And God said, no. My grace is all you need. That's actually what he said. He said, my grace is sufficient for your weakness. That's it. That was God's answer to prayer. Does God answer prayer? Again, we're, we're going to get there. Okay, we're going to get there. All right. Does God answer prayer? Yes. It's not always what we want. There's a good question that I, I have learned to ask. Let me, hear you, let me just say that one more time so you guys can hear me. I have had to learn to ask this question when I am leaning into prayer and I don't seem to see what God's doing and it's not, you know, it's not maybe coming out the way I thought it should come out. I lean into this question. This is a very sobering question. Can God trust you to give you what you're praying for? 
I don't know the answer to that. It causes introspection for me. It causes me to, to kind of do business, if you will, because God is far more concerned about completing the work he's doing in me than he is about completing my checklist of prayers for him, right? Like he's more concerned about completing the work that he has in store for Matt than, the, than this sort of grocery list of prayers that I bring him. God, would you do this? Would you do this? Would you do this? Would you do this? So I have to ask the question sometimes, look, I'm not seeing something. Is it me? Now, I don't say that to, to bring shame or guilt on me because, I, again, I approach him with freedom because of what Christ has done for me. I don't do that to heap shame and guilt on me, but I go and say, God, is, is there something that I'm supposed to be learning in this moment? Is there something that you want me to see? Is, there, is, is it going to be like Paul where you're just trying to tell me that your strength is enough for me? That the answer to this that I'd love to see isn't going to happen yet. Your strength is enough for me and my weakness. Here's another huge list of verses. Again, I won't give you uh, every single one of them, but if you want to take a quick picture, these are some other, and again, I'm just, guys, this is just the Word of God. I have to give you what the Word of God says, regardless of, of how anybody else has ever preached this to you about how God answers prayers, but this is what the Word of God says. In 1 John, he talks about that we receive because we obey Him. And we're doing things that please him. Peter says, those who do right, God's ears are open to their prayers. Proverbs says, he hears the prayers of the righteous, those who have surrendered their life and, and are getting that righteousness from God. Unconfessed sin, this is Psalms, unconfessed sin in my heart, the Lord is not listening. First John, again, whenever we ask for something that pleases him. Again, understand, I have a list of things that I want God to do and to answer and to, be a, and to be on board with in terms of my life and my plan. But you know the thing that he's going to answer, that I already know he's going to answer? The stuff he wants to do. The stuff that pleases him. I think I read that verse several weeks ago, that his will is going to prevail. So I might as well make sure my will's aligned with his will because that's what he's going to do. Uh, Isaiah, there, there was a time of judgment, and he said, people are going to lift their hands, and I won't be listening. Proverbs says that he detests prayers from those who don't obey the law. James says, you don't have it because you ask with the wrong motives. <laughs> That's a tough one. You know, it sure did sound really, really like benevolent and beautiful when you asked for that in prayer, but you asked for it for a completely different reason than anyone knows you asked for it, Right? God, oh, bless that guy. Bless that person to get that promotion. Now, why? Because I just really want his job. Right? Like, I'm just saying that there's, there's always, God sees the heart. This is one of the reasons that, that you need to consider what the conversation that you're having. In Matthew and Mark, it talks about unforgiveness in our hearts. That when you and I are holding unforgiveness in our hearts for other people, that he might not be hearing your prayers. I mean, he hears your prayers, understand, but there may, be, there may be a barrier. There's other verses in Peter that talk about, you know, how husbands love their wives have to do with how their prayers are being heard. 
Guys, just, I, I'm, I'm not throwing all this out here as conditions and rules. I just want you to see from the Word of God, I want you to see that there are so many reasons that God is answering prayers in your life or He's doing a work in you so that you can realize something, so you can see something and be on board with His will. Not just your outcome. Not just what you're praying for. Not just what you see as the only answer because he sees more than you and I do. And this kind of prayer, this kind of engaging, this kind of leaning in, this is the work and the purpose of the church. This is what we do. This is one of the reasons the church exists. is for the body of believers, the followers of Christ, as a collective group to be able to pray and engage and lean into God for the work and the purpose of the church, what he's going to do through the church. Chris last week talked about praying for the ministry of the church, praying for the people of the church. But the idea would be that God's people are praying. What, what effectiveness does Journey Church have if Journey Church represents a normal small group of Christians and there's less than 10% of you that are actually engaging in prayer? There could be hundreds of people in the room, but only 10% of you are actually engaging in prayer because the rest of you just haven't made it a discipline. You haven't made it part of your life. You, you've shrunk back because of the conversation's not going the way you want it to go. How much more effective is a house of prayer? That's what God wanted his people to be, a people of prayer, a house of prayer. He, he talked about, even from the Isaiah, as Jesus uh, made those words, uh, you know, repeated those words from Isaiah, that this house of prayer is going to be something that's immovable, unshakable in the kingdom of God. Because it's the work of the church. And yet, we as Christians need to be the ones who herald the fact that God answers prayers. We don't need to add to the skeptics. We don't need to add to the confusion that's outside of the church that, of course, they're going to be skeptical of whether God, some spiritual thing in heaven is magically doing something in someone's life. Of course they're going to. That doesn't need to happen in the church. Here's a, here's a little quick example. We read this last week in the 21 Days of Prayer, but I love this passage. This is such a beautiful example and picture of just sometimes how the church can miss it and how easily it happens. Okay, this is, in, this is in Acts 12. I'll read really quickly about that time King Herod Agrippa. This is the grandson, by the way, of uh, Herod the Great. So, you know, we just finished Christmas and we talked about Herod and um, uh, Herod the Great, Herod the Conqueror, Herod, all the, all the things he was called. But this is Herod, uh, Herod Agrippa. This is the grandson, okay, at this time. He began to persecute some believers in the church and he had the apostle James, John's brother, killed with the sword. And keep going. He said, when Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he arranged to arrest Peter, he arrested Peter. And this took place during the Passover celebration. So nothing could happen to Peter. They were, he was waiting trial. Keep going. He imprisoned him there, placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each, so a lot of guards. Uh, Herod intended to bring Peter out for a public trial after the Passover. Now watch this. Go back. Oh, where? Whoa. Woo! I don't know where we are. Okay. Acts. Can we get there? If not, I'll read from my, my iPad. All right, something's happening. I'll trust, I'll trust them as they work on it. Okay, let me read for you. 
Yeah, they were going to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover. Verse 5. But while Peter was in prison, yeah, there we go. Okay, cool. While Peter was in prison, it's so much bigger. It's so much easier to read from. While Peter was in prison, the church was doing what? What was the church doing? Yeah, it was praying earnestly for him, right? They're praying for Peter. Peter's been arrested. They already know what happened to uh, James's brother or John, uh, John's brother. They already know what happened. They know what King Agrippa wants to do. So they're praying for Peter. Says the night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he fell asleep, fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Others stood guard at the prison gate. And it says, suddenly there was a bright light in the cell, and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. And an angel struck him on his side to wake him up and said, Quick, get up. That's what you do, by the way, anytime an angel strikes you on the side and tells you to wake up. Get up. And the chains fell off his wrists. Then the angel of the Lord told him, Get dressed and put on your sandals. And he did. Now put on your coat and follow me, the angel ordered. So Peter left the cell, followed the angel. But all the time, he thought it was a vision, right? This isn't the first time Peter's had a vision. Okay, so Peter's kind of just flowing with the, with the stuff. Oh, this is a cool dream, right? What a cool dream. Wouldn't it be nice if this happened? He didn't realize it was actually happening. They passed the first and the second guard posts and came to the iron gate leading out of the city and it opened up for them all by itself. So they passed through and started walking down the street and then the angel suddenly left him. He's just there by himself. <laughs> Peter finally came to his senses. Oh, it's true, right? I'm free. The Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from what the Jewish leaders wanted to do and planned to do to me. So what did he do? When he realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. This is the church praying for Peter. She's like, oh, cool. I'm going to go back and see him. He knocked on the door and the gate, and the servant girl named Rhoda came to open it. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she instead ran back inside and told everyone, Peter's here. Peter is standing at the door. Can you imagine a prayer meeting going on where they're praying for Peter? Oh, God, just be with Peter in the jail as he faces death the next day. And then Rhoda comes in and says, guys, you'll never believe this. Peter's here. He's standing at the door. And I love this response. You're out of your mind. <laughs> oh, leave it to the church, right? All right. You're out of your mind, they said. But she insisted. So they decided, well, it must be his angel. Another version says ghost. They must have already killed him. And his ghost came to see us. Like that was in their mind. That was the conclusion. And meanwhile, Peter continued knocking. When they finally opened the door and saw it was him, they were what? Oh, my gosh. It is him. It's Peter. He motioned for them to quiet down and told them the Lord had led him out of prison. He says, go tell James and the other brothers what had happened. So he said, and then he went to another place. Uh, keep going to the next slide, if you would. God answers prayers. Let's say those words one more time. God answers prayers. Okay? Christians, I'm just going to say this. We should not be the last ones to realize that God has answered prayers. We should be the first ones, okay? Why? Because when things happen, well, they're not coincidences. 
They're not accidents. They're not lucky. It's not a twist of fate. It's not a fluke. It's not happenstance. Something happened and you went, wow, I didn't even pray about that. Well, somebody might have been praying about it. Okay? When something happens, when God is on the move, when you see things happening in your life, Christians shouldn't be the last ones to be like, you're dumb. That's out of you. You're so crazy. You're out of your mind. No. We've seen God work. We believe he answers prayers. He answers them yes. Does he answer them differently? Does he answer them differently than we would like for him to answer them sometimes? Absolutely. But God answers prayers. There are no coincidences. There's no lucky twists of fate. There's no good luck or bad luck. God answers our prayers. And we as a church need to be the ones who are, who are witnesses of that and heralding that and telling people that and helping people understand why he answers prayers. Here's a few more verses that, that are just good challenges for us. He wants us to devote ourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. It means we should be paying attention. We should be praying with expectancy that God is going to be doing something. You know, we don't know what he's going to do necessarily, but God is going to be at work. He's going to be doing something, and with a thankful heart. That's part of our approach to God. Again, we approach with confidence and freedom and confidence, but we approach with gratitude. People ask me sometimes about reverency when it comes to prayer, okay? I don't know if this is something you guys deal with, but sometimes people ask me about the whole reverent thing and you know, maybe how, depending on the um, church tradition you were raised in, the kneeling and the posture and the, and the words and the, and the approach, and you don't wear a hat and you got to bow and you got to do, does that make sense, everybody with me? Like, depending on you know, how you were raised, that's how it's done. I, I want you to understand, the formality matters little outside of the fact that specifically when you read Jesus saying, he doesn't want your eyes to heaven and your arms open as if you're awesome and you did something. Okay? Like that's, that was the, that's what Christ condemned. But the formality and the words matter little to the approach to God. The approach comes with a grateful heart. It comes with an understanding of who he is and who you are. And I can promise you, if you, if you just remember who he is, and in light of that know who you are, your conversation with him is going to be authentic doesn't matter the, the formality of the words you use or, or the posture of your body, you know? I mean, just, just think about this. When my kid, I don't even know if he's in here. Is Thomas in here? Yeah. When Thomas, like, mouths off to me, he, doesn't, he hasn't forgotten who I am. You guys with me? It's like, he's not being disrespectful because he forgot I'm his dad. And sometimes, you know, if he does, I just remind him, I, I'm, I'm your dad, you know? I'm not your friend. I'm not your pal. I'm not your bruh, Right? <laughs> I'm your dad. But most of the time, when Thomas kind of approaches me and maybe it's a little bit disrespectful, it's because he's so caught up in who he is. Everybody with me? He's so caught up in who he is and what's going on with him and all that stuff that he kind of, just for a moment, kind of was all caught up in him and wasn't thinking about me. And I have to kind of tap the fishbowl of his brain and remind him who I am. And it doesn't take much for God to do that with us. Okay, I can just promise you. Our approach to him is with an alert mind. We're sober-minded. We understand who he is and we understand who he, we are. And listen, when we understand who he is and what we are and what's going on and the work that he's doing, you have no trouble being thankful. There's not a problem being thankful. Even going through the, some of the hardest times in my life, 
I was still able to approach God with gratitude. Even when something was not working and there was tragedy I had to deal with, I was still able to approach him with gratitude because of who he is. Keep going. Pray in the Spirit at all times. This is to the church in Ephesians. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion, right? Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Thessalonians, Paul says, to pray without ceasing. This invitation to a conversation is is very much like what Scripture describes as a a step-by-step, moment-by-moment, you know, being in step with the Holy Spirit and praying in God. It's, you know, and I just base this off of people's personality. Some people really need and love just the, you know, the, un, the unfettered hour and a half that you want to, to sit at the throne and pray. Great. That's just not my life. It's not how I'm, I operate, right? But I, want, I believe scripture, when it says pray without ceasing, pray throughout the day, you know, my idea is that, okay, well, then that's just the, the conversation I'm having with God all day. I'm having these conversations all day, okay? Even in split-second moments when my brain goes, he's an idiot, my prayer goes, no, hold on. There's something going on. There's something I want you to know. There's something I want you to see. Matt, you're being judgmental. You're right, I mean, I'm telling you, this can happen in a split second. Because my brain still thinks he's an idiot, but I have to go into prayer. This is the praying without ceasing. It is the constant conversation. So it's not necessarily that I don't take formal times to pray, but that's not the only time I'm praying. Keep going. This is actually in the message paraphrase. This is Jesus saying that when two or three of you get together on anything on earth and you make a prayer of it, meaning it's in my name, it's in Jesus' name, my Father in heaven goes into action. And when two or three of you are together because of me, Jesus is saying, you can be sure that I'm there. You can be sure that I'm present, right? So that goes back to this sort of, sort of this idea that, that even in conversation with people, it can be prayer. Because when I'm having a conversation with another believer and we're talking about someone to intercede for, we're, we're talking about an issue we're dealing with, we're talking about a problem, it can be a prayer in that moment. Because as long as we're gathered in his name, as long as we're connected through the Spirit and doing it in Jesus' name, we can make a prayer of it and God goes into action. Because God answers prayers. Let's keep going. This is another call of the church in terms of just why it's so important that we pray, but praying for one another. We pray specifically for what we do know, but we trust God for what we don't know. And this, again, goes back into a, a, just a, a framework and a, and a posture of prayer that you have to be able to have in a healthy way because, you know, as you continue to lean in, but God's answering prayers differently, it's not the way you'd be praying, it's not what you were asking for, and it, you can get frustrated. But all you can do is go to God and say, God, this is what I know. I'm bringing it to you. This is where I'm at, and this is all that I know, so I'm praying because that's the conversation you want to have with me. But we have to then trust God with what we don't know. We don't know his will. We don't know what he wants to do. We don't know what the plan is. We don't know the path he's going to take. We don't know. I don't know if he's going to heal you from cancer. I don't know. Death is a part of life. Does God heal people from cancer and disease? Yes. Yes, he does. I've seen it in our own church. I've seen it in friends' lives. He heals. He heals the sick. Do people die around me? Yes, because death is a part of life. And even when he heals, he healed one of my friends. He healed him from cancer 
He still died two years later. Was God a failure at his prayer, at the issue of prayer? No. Y'all know Lazarus still died again, didn't you? Does that mean it didn't take the first time you raised him from the dead? No, Lazarus was rose from the dead. It was a beautiful answer to the sister's prayers. He still ended up dying again. Doesn't, doesn't, that's why we have to approach prayer. Prayer is a conversation. It's not one and done. It's not a checklist of things. He's not a genie in a bottle. We lean in and we understand that, no, God is, and he's able, and he can, and he will. But I want to I be able to lay this down because this is what I know. So I lay it down before him, and I have to trust him with everything I don't know. Keep going. Praying for one another is just, when I say the prayer is a work and the purpose of the church, I couldn't talk about that without talking about specifically how we're called to pray for one another. I'll give you these two verses quickly. This is 1 Timothy 2. I urge you first and foremost to pray for all people, asking God to help them, and I want you to intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. That's just a part of the, the Christian's job, the church's job. We are called to intercede for others on their behalf. Keep going. I want you to pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so you can live peacefully and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God. Our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and understand the truth. Intercessory prayer, that's one of the reasons that if you're around Christians for a while, you hear people talking about praying for this, they talk about prayer requests, and that's what it's for. Because the goal is that when someone shares a prayer request, maybe not in the moment you're going to pray for it, you are, but the idea would be that God through his Holy Spirit would bring that up to you later on. And in those moments that you would think about it, that you would think just for that moment, oh, I need to pray for so-and-so. And then even in that moment, I'm able to say that prayer. Because part of the church's job, part of the work and the purpose of the church is to intercede, to pray to God for them and on their behalf. We're going to have a little time of intercessory prayer today uh, at the end of the service, after the service is over. If you want to be a part of this, come back to the back of the cafe by the space. Um, we have a new family in our church uh, named the Williams family, and uh, they've only been here a couple months. The, you know, the family's starting to engage, but um, he, he got COVID, and like so many couple others I've heard, uh, this particular COVID went into pneumonia. And so right now, he's in the hospital just fighting, fighting for life. The family is praying. Uh, and pouring themselves out in prayer, and they and they asked us. They 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 did what you know we were told to do is to call the church and to and to let us know so that we could be engaged in prayer with them. And I talked to uh, texted the wife uh, this morning and got an update, and he's still. Uh, got a low O2 and still struggling with the pneumonia. And I was like, well, we're going we're gonna to pray. We've been praying for him in the 21 days of prayer, but we're going to meet today. Anybody who wants to be a part of that can come and be a part of just a time of intercessory prayer because that's what the church does. That's what we are called to do. We do not know the outcome of that. That is not what we know. What do we know? We know that Jesse's in the hospital. We know that he's struggling and hurting and, and fighting for life. We know his family is praying for him and has asked us as a church to pray for them. And we will. We pray for others. We pray for ourselves in the midst of praying for others because that's part of what we do. This is in James. Again, I believe. Go. Yeah, this is James. If there's anyone suffering hardship, you should pray. And if any of you are happy, you should sing praises. This is just responding to God. 
And he keeps going and says, but if any of you are sick, you should call the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord. That was part of their, their ritual. But this said, listen, this is part of how we, we pray for one another. And it says, if you pray, a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you'll be forgiven. So it goes on to say, we want you to confess those sins to each other and pray for one another so you can experience healing, so you can be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Go ahead and go to the last slide. Um, oh, yeah, sorry. The verse. This is the verse, obviously. I want to read it again just so we can see it. In him and through our faith in him, we approach God with freedom and confidence. And that is the charge today. And, and, and listen, this may not have described your prayer life up to this point, but boy, do I pray it would describe your prayer life from this point forward. That you have the blessing and opportunity and an invitation to have a conversation with God because of the work that Christ did for you. That's where freedom comes. Okay? And you can enter into that conversation without guilt and shame and condemnation because God doesn't want to have a conversation with you. That Some people seriously think that they want, to, they want to shy away from prayer so that God doesn't make them feel bad about their sin. Well, I'm sorry, but God's going to convict you of your sin. But there is no condemnation with that. There's no, there's no shame. There's no guilt that comes along with that. That's all you. That doesn't come from him. The conviction comes because he wants you to confess that sin so that you can be healed. And as you pray and as you bring that, you, you come with confidence to a father who already knows what you need. You know, how confident, listen, I know sometimes you've had conversations with people and you want to approach them. And it's like, they don't even know what I'm going to ask them, but I, you know, I'm going to ask them for a million bucks. You know, they don't know. And I know they have it, but I'm going to go ask them for it. And you're a little, you're a little shy and hesitant because they might say no, they might say yes, they might, you know. How much more confident are you going to ask somebody for something and they already know what you need? They already know. They love you more than you could possibly love yourself and they already know what you need. Wouldn't that fill you with confidence? And that's part of why we approach God in confidence in prayer. He already knows. Oh, sure, I ramble on sometimes as if he doesn't. He, he gets me, right? But he already knows. And I bring it to him, and I pour my heart out to him, and I say, God, I just want to, I'm just giving you what I know. I'm going to trust you with what I don't know. What I know that brings that freedom and confidence is that God answers prayers. Just for the sake of me hearing it, let's all say it one more time. God answers prayers. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much that you answer prayers. Now, God, it may, not, it may not be what we want. It may not be what we expect. It may be different. It may be a timing issue. There are a million things that go into this. And yet, God, this invitation to a conversation with you is so much, so intimate that we can come with confidence that you do answer those prayers with freedom because of the work you've done through Christ. God, I pray that that's the experience for every single person here today and that calls Journey Home, that's engaging in this message. God, that you would just transform their prayer life into one that could be described just like that verse. Freedom 
and confidence we approach you, our Heavenly Father. God, and for those who have struggled for years, struggled for years to make this a discipline, to make this a part of their, their journey in terms of following you, God, just break down those walls. Let them have conversations. Let them, let them pray to you. Let them bring to you the struggles that they have. Just bring freedom to them, God. And God, I do pray today for, the, for the, all the many things, the requests, the people, the, the engagements and the relationships we all have with one another. God, there's so many things going on that, that people are praying for. And yet, God, I am confident that you hear every single prayer. And that, God, that you will answer prayers. We're so thankful for that. In Jesus' name, amen.